I'm Carol Masser of Bloomberg Businessweek. This week marked the one-year anniversary of the World Health Organization's declaration that the coronavirus outbreak was a global pandemic, shutting down and turning upside down our world. For our broadcast world, that meant our last live guest in studio was on Friday the 13th, that is March 13th, 2020. Over these past 12 months, we have relied on thousands of voices to keep us up to date, to tell us what they were seeing, where we were in terms of health, safety, business, arts, culture, the economy, of course, COVID-19, and so much more. And so for an idea of where we've been and more importantly, where we are today, we wanted to share some of those voices from the past month. Nobel laureate economist Paul Krugman points out that we're not in the clear yet. I think we still have another six months of rough times because it is very hard to do normal business when people are rightfully still afraid of, 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 of COVID. And so we're going to be a pandemic depressed economy uh, for well past the middle of this year. But I'm actually, I'm quite optimistic about after that. I think we are, we don't have the same kind of uh, overhang of excessive debts and so on that we had after the last crisis. So I think we're going to have a, probably going to be feeling pretty optimistic by this time next year. She's a voice well known to our audience, Kathy Wood, founder and CEO at ARK Investment. Certainly a lot of changes in the world of investing. What I've been surprised by over the last really four or five months is cyclicals and value stocks have uh, started to outperform the broad-based market indices. Uh, and the surprise to us is that uh, we uh, and our innovation strategies at ARC uh, outperformed as well. That's very unusual. Bishop Wayne T. Jackson, founder and CEO of the Impact Network, he's seen firsthand disparities affecting people of color. And the poorest of the poorest uh, community, uh, some of them have not even received one dose of the vaccine. And we know that, that our community are the ones who are impacted the most in a negative way. And it, it just goes back to a lot of times people don't understand what uh, African Americans have to go through just based on who, who we are and how we had to uh, be kidnapped. Our forefathers kidnapped from Africa, brought up here, stripped of their names, and it was, you know, made to do free labor. Carnival CEO Arnold Donald, the cruise line industry, one of the hardest hit by the pandemic. It's been a tough time. It's a, t it's a very yeah. difficult time for travel and leisure. Um, and obviously, difficult time for cruise. You know, we voluntarily paused way back in March of 2020, and we're still not sailing. We've had a few sailings um, over in Europe, but, you know, very limited basis. To have a business with no revenue for such an extended period of time, and a significant burn rate because obviously um, we have to keep our ships operational. You can't set these ships up. They're not airplanes. You can't just put them in a hangar. Uh, you have to continue to operate them. And so it's been very challenging. Real estate, no stranger to the effects of the COVID outbreak. Ken Swig, president at Swig Equities. The activity level that we're seeing in terms of commercial, in terms of tenants starting to look and starting to become more active, and certainly on the residential front, it's as active as it's been since, you know, the past six, seven years. Um, so 
that's a good sign going forward. So I'd say new deal transaction volume is starting to pick up. For some of our guests, the pandemic was a reminder to find balance. Sheila Moravati, president and founder of Habits of Waste. It's been quiet, I have to say. I've been, um, I was living a very intense life prior to the pandemic. I don't even know how I did it. I mean, I was a classic person that was burning the candle at two ends and the pandemic just forced us into a very different lifestyle that, um, you know, really made me think a lot of, about a lot of things. Some still calling for investigations into the origins of the pandemic. Jamie Metzl, senior fellow at the Atlantic Council. Anyone who's been paying close attention uh, that China has engaged in a massive cover-up over the last year. They immediately started destroying samples, eliminating or removing access to records, uh, imprisoning uh, journalists and others asking questions, and they established a universal gag order not allowing any of their scientists to speak publicly or write anything about the origins of the, uh, of the pandemic. A lot of changes to the way work is done. Tammy Irwin, CEO of Verizon Business. Now we're really in that phase where people are beginning to reimagine uh, what the workforce of the future looks like. We're calling it work forward at Verizon, which is how will we work and what does the new norm look like? You know, Carol, you and I have talked about some of the challenges that women have faced throughout 2020 with the COVID. And I think what we're now seeing is a sense of hope and optimism, a sense that kids might be back in school in the fall. So I would just tell you, I think we're seeing resiliency and we're seeing hope as people begin to look to what the workforce of the future might be and how that will give women a little more time to lean into their career and give them a chance to get out and live life. Reminding us that we can't get complacent. Dr. Stephen Corwin, CEO of New York Presbyterian Hospital. Well, you know, unfortunately for New York City, it seems to be anomalous compared to a lot of the declines we're seeing in the rest of the country. What we've seen was a secondary surge uh, that started in that December time frame, uh, and we still have a lot of COVID patients in the hospital and a lot of sick COVID patients in the hospital. So although we're at about 30 to 35% of where we were at that horrendous peak in the April timeframe, uh, we still have a lot of patients in the ICU. We're still living with the virus. Progress continues to be made, but a lot of work still remains to be done. Rupali LeMay, Associate Scientist for the Department of International Health at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, supported by Michael R. Bloomberg, founder of Bloomberg LP and Bloomberg Philanthropies. States are doing an amazing job of ramping up. We now have a third vaccine product, which will also help, I think, ease a lot of the issues that we were having with supply. The problem that we are seeing is that the outreach is not necessarily matching the segment of the population. And what I mean by that is when you're asking individuals to essentially pre-register for their priority group online. And you, as you can imagine, you have huge segments of the population that is just not comfortable mm -hmm. registering online. And that's really where there is a mismatch. And we've talked to several states about this, is that how do we make sure that we recruit and we really communicate our outreach in a way that is accessible for the segments that are eligible? And I think states are still sort of catching up to that, if you will, we're, we're not quite there yet. That mismatch, well, it's a reminder that more has yet to be done when it comes to getting beyond COVID. I'm certainly looking forward to talking with more voices in the coming days and months as we move closer to a post-pandemic world. Thanks so much for listening. For more conversations and interesting voices, check out our Bloomberg Business Week podcast feed. Stay safe, everyone. I'm Carol Masser. This is Bloomberg.